0: Hey everybody, welcome to Going in Circles Live. It's the first Tuesday post-breeders' cup, and we, uh, we're we going to go over some of the events of the weekend. We, we went over some of them, most of them, last night, but uh, I have a couple other thoughts that uh, I hadn't expressed fully last night as we tried to cover 14 races plus some other things before uh, before finishing the show in the middle of the night. And we're also going to have on uh, the National HBPA's Eric Hamelback to talk about some uh, topics that uh, that are certainly uh, timely, especially considering the amount of uh, angst that we've seen lately over uh, Mr. Baffert's um, medication issues, uh, among others, and uh, we'll have a conversation with Eric about uh, what's actually going on and uh, what the future looks like for, from the Horseman's point of view, and the, um, the um, uh, you know you get a lot of information from one side. Sometimes it's it's good to get a view from the other side to try to even things out, and uh, this way you can make uh, make your own decision. So, the Breeders' Cup—it's <laughs> gotten to be such a uh, a big thing. Um, they wanted it to be a championship event, and it's kind of it kind of has it's uh most of the divisions that we have championships for were decided or kind of uh coronated in in for horses like um like Monopoly girl especially um certainly uh authentic Will be champion three-year-old. He'll almost certainly be horse of the year. Um, A lot of the uh, the the categories for the two-year-olds that are that are kind of skewed going in and through his favorites, but uh, no one. It's hard to uh, it's hard to to take away um, the, the winners of the two juvenile Breeders' Cup races. Um, to, to think that they won't be named champion champions of uh, each their respective divisions. The sprint race uh, certainly Gamine will be uh, the Philly sprinter of the year, the Eclipse Award winner for for that division. The the boy the the I guess the um, the male sprinter. I guess they don't even call it the male sprinter. They call it the sprinter. I mean, technically, you could make a case for Gamine to be Sprinter of the Year. I'm not exactly sure, but I, I think it's just Sprinter of the Year. I don't think it's male sprinter. And her performance in the Breeders' Cup, which she was a dominant winner in track record time, which is something else we'll talk about, was one of the really um stellar performances, especially considering there was a lot of uh hand wringing about her drawing inside Serengeti Express and, and and uh she's never been outrun early in the race. She's never been behind horses and and that's exactly what happened, but she was um she certainly John Velasquez did a good job with getting her into the clear and she just blew them away and there was a, a lot of um the volatile was the hot horse this summer but he really only won two stake races and whitmore won a couple races this year and, and certainly was a great to see ron who who has been on the show a couple months back a couple weeks back actually uh, win that race is he's a hard-working guy that loves the game and uh, Whitmore is is a a fan favorite that uh, has been around for a long time now and it was really nice to see them win I don't know how um the voters are going to look at that win if it was enough to make him um champion sprinter or not I don't know it's a it's a good question um some of the divisions, the the turf fillies. I'm guessing that Rushing Falls is going to get the nod. She ran really well. I, I was not really high on her going into this race. I thought that I thought that there'd be a little more pace, and obviously, uh, with the European horse Cayenne um, Pepper clearing to the lead from the outside. Actually, there was two races that I was very very surprised who was leading the 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 horses down the backside the sprint jas the jasper horse um the trainer mori from japan i mean we don't know very much about those horses and they haven't had a whole lot of success there was a Cal a horse that from japan it was a, a really top top sprinter over there that raced in california a couple years ago i cannot remember his name And they raced the horse without Lasix, and he came over and he won. He beat uh, a good field of California sprinters, and then he came back in his next race, and he bled really bad. And then he was sent back to Japan, we never heard from him again. But the form from Japan is is, is not, I don't know many people. I know a lot of people now that follow European racing, and, and these days, it's really not that difficult to follow racing in other, uh, countries, other jurisdictions because of the, the internet and the ability to see video as it happens you, to be able to, to get PPs and, um, to follow along and, and, uh, especially the, the places where there's a lot of English language, um, information. And I don't know that there is a tremendous amount of English language, uh, information regarding Japanese racing and, and they rarely uh, do you see japanese horses outside of uh, hong kong they venture to hong kong for for their big races uh, every once in a while you'll see one um pop up at ascot uh you will or or the Ark, and uh they'll they'll make take some shots down in australia once in a while but as, as a whole they, they don't ship a whole lot and uh when the Japanese horse opened up down the backside in a sprint, it just was kind of, uh, and it was not uh, a sprint that was full of speed types. It was actually a kind of an unusual, um, occurrence where the, the sprint really was a little bit lacking in pace. Um, he, um, he kind of cleared to the lead and he didn't put up much resistance and he stopped and he did finish last, but, I didn't see him on the lead in the race I, uh, under any circumstances. I just wasn't sure what to expect. And that wasn't it. But, uh, um, I think that changed the race and Frank's Rocket never got close to the lead and Yopon, he, he kind of chased, but he was, uh, he was, uh, he was a horse I really liked and he kind of disappointed. He kind of just ran around there and, you know, he's still a lightly raced horse. It was only his fifth race and it was a big step up, but, uh, Still was a disappointment, and Cayenne um, Pepper <laughs> shooting to the lead from the outside, and in, um, in the uh, Phillies and Mare's turf, I, I certainly expected Mean Mary to be on the lead, and I expected um, Rushing Falls to be right off her flank as they have been their last few few races. As it, it's kind of gotten to be a a nice little rivalry. Except when Cayenne Pepper popped up ahead of everyone, it kind of changed things a little bit. And I I think it definitely hurt Mean Mary's chances. And Rushing Falls, she picked up the bit at the quarter pole and and, and was running. And it looked like for a second she was going to get there. But um, I think the distance was just a a little bit further than she really wants to go. And, you know, you're kind of stuck with Phillies in that you either have to go in that, in the the Breeders' Cup mile on a Phillies um, mare turf, which is mile and three-eighths uh, or mile and three-sixteenths in this case, or uh, the mile against the males. And, um, you know, sometimes horses like her, she's probably best at a mile and a sixteenths. Um, So, her body of of work this year is probably enough to get her the Eclipse Award. She probably deserves it. Uh, Certainly, there will probably be some votes for um, Dermot Weld's filly that won the turf over males. And she certainly ran extremely well. I I was very, I liked her a lot. I really thought that she was a, a horse that that was was improving coming into the race and was good enough already and uh maybe would would uh, appreciate um the american ground and the tighter turns and dermot weld is nobody's fool even though he had never won a breeder's cup race prior to that he also isn't uh exactly sending out Aidan o'brien type numbers it was only his 16th um, breeders cup runner and dermot weld was training at the highest level when the first breeders cup was run back in 1984 so he's not a guy that that uh, just takes shots and he's had some horses run well before he's won all kinds of other races here he's won the melbourne cup twice shipping from ireland so he certainly knows how to do it he's he's one of the best that ever did it and uh, um the late jockey change with uh, Mr. Sumian testing negative or excuse me positive for COVID, which is kind of one of the, the unsaid uh, not tragedies, but um, just the downer is the guy had three breeders cup mounts and all of them won <laughs> and he was having to watch the races from a hotel room, which, which is bad enough having to watch NBC's coverage. I watched every race on the Breeders of the Breeders Cup on the track feed, except for the Classic. I was at Pompano, the harness track, watching the races. Um, it was actually nice to be um, in a racetrack atmosphere with racetrack people screaming at the televisions and getting in arguments, and just kind of miss that uh, that variable. You, you don't get that in your own living room, but we've had some storms down here in, in South Florida and uh Pompano lost power. Um, the TV signal, I shouldn't say the power, but the TV signal went out the, the, the simulcast signal. And it's amazing how loud a simulcast room can be and how quiet it can get. As soon as <laughs> the, the TV's go blank, everybody just immediately shuts up and it's like, Oh, what happened? You know? And, they never did get the, um, the feed, simulcast feeds back prior to that race going off, and they did pull it up on NBC. And I have to say that I understand what MDBC does, and I guess why they do it, but the constant cutting from one angle to another angle to another angle to another angle. To another angle makes it very difficult to watch a race and really see exactly what's going on i, I found it hard to f- figure out where the horses were on the racetrack and I mean the first fraction that we saw was seventeen seconds so um <laughs> so clearly uh something something was amiss there um Pat Cummings has done a little investigation because Pat that's what Pat does. He investigates things and it seems like the timing mechanisms might not have been set properly for the mile and a quarter might have been for a shorter distance but it's either here nor there except it's also the race that we're trying to determine the championship of the season among other things um championship uh, three-year-old championship old uh, for older horses there was a lot of things on the line and when you look at the prices that horses have been selling for post breeders cup and the 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 amounts that the horses who are going to stud are standing for it's an incredibly important race and it's kind of uh very 2020 ish that we don't even have fractions for the race and an hour after the race was completed based upon hand timing and video replay they've determined that Authentic not only won the Breeders' Cup Classic, but he set a track record by over a second. Which was the fifth track record that was broken over the weekend on the Keeneland's main, uh, on their main turf, a uh, dirt course, excuse me. And I know people are going to say, well, you're being critical about things that don't really matter and blah, blah, blah. Well, maybe. Maybe, but if you were playing the World Series and they pulled the fences in to 200 to Little League Baseball uh, distances and and 27 home runs was hit in three games, everybody would be shouting and screaming, hey, this is not legitimate. Well, you set track records in 36% of the dirt races run over the weekend, and that's including non Breeders' Cup races. It was a track record set in the first race on Friday uh, by a horse of uh, a Chad Brown horse, the sire of the day into mischief, Uh, a nice horse, but he broke the track record for six and a half furlongs. Everybody has talked about Nashville winning the first race on Saturday in track record time. Not only did he win in track record time, he won in hand in track record time, and I just, I, to me, it just kind of, it's almost, um, I'm not saying that they intentionally made the track fast, but after it being really fast on Friday, they sure didn't slow it down at all. And I understand you also don't want to have a championship event run over a plowed field. It just kind of. Delegitimatizes some of the results i think and and i don't think that the track was extremely biased um certainly monomoy girl was wide throughout and and came from off the pace whitmore came from far off the pace though he was on the rail for the most of the race Uh, i read ortiz rode the horse just impeccably which shouldn't be a surprise um You know, Authentic was, <laughs> we're going to guess, was given a, a, a relatively soft lead because we don't have fractions, um, but he never looked un- under duress. He, he was just pulling Johnny V out of the, out of the saddle, and, and uh, that race was over a quarter mile in. And I'm not going to say, well, that was a speed-biased win. He, That was a pace-aided win. And and you know, the truth is he ran a negative three in the sheets going into the race. And he might have just been the best horse, and that's all there's to it. And uh certainly getting an easy lead unpressured uh that's that's a good thing for a horse like him. His main danger in the pace scenario was his own stablemate, uh Maximum Security, who clearly has not um He's he just not quite as fast early in the stage, early stages of the race as he used to be. He just isn't. The only race he won out in California um, impressively was the race where he got a relatively soft pace on the lead, and he wasn't challenged. And he's just simply not as quick as Authentic is at this point in their career. And he did not really finish up very strong, and, and, uh, and it's almost kind of cringeworthy his last few races and there's just so much going on with him and uh, the the indictments and baffert's issues that uh, it's like uh, kind of happy that it's over that we don't have to be subjected to that anymore and and he's a nice horse he, he certainly um i know that a lot of people root against him because of his his, his human connections but it's not the horse's fault, and, and he uh, he came from from the bottom. He started at the bottom, and he got to the top, but he couldn't stay there. Uh, Improbable ran a ran a decent race. Um, I'm I'm guessing that the pace was slow, considering Improbable was not far off of it, while Wide. Uh, you would have thought that he would have been four or five lengths behind. He wasn't. That makes me think that the pace was a little bit, uh, a little bit um, slower than than you would have imagined it would be. Uh, especially considering the pace in some of the other two turn races, um, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, which admittedly was a horse that seemed to be a rabbit uh, of Diodoro's that went. Ludicrously fast for you know uh, the only reason I could think of the only reason they would do that is to try to set it up for their other horse who I think came in fourth but um the distaff went uh probably quite a bit faster early, and again, we're kind of this is all conjecture because we don't have an official chart with the fractions for the classic as crazy as that may sound um. A lot of horses from the Classic are heading off to stud, and I had made a statement a couple couple weeks back about the Classic, and I, I said, let's make sure that people understand these are not great horses. There's not a single Hall of Fame horse in the group. None of them. There's no great horses in, in that field. It was a very competitive race, at least on paper. It was a relatively even matched race. There wasn't. Uh, there was a couple real bombs. Who kind of were like late-minute additions, but um, who, who made no impact. But everybody's kind of going off the stud except his the Law, who, of course, we've now got a, a jockey controversy over Manny Franco's ride, which I, I really strongly felt uh, in our preview show that Manny Franco should take advantage of the fact that tis the law breaks extremely sharp from the gate and let him run down the stretch and force the hand of the horses the speed horses to his outside kind of like you would see in a harness race where guys will leave to get to the lead and then they will yield they're just trying to get position and he kind of didn't do that he broke sharp and he started looking around and he should have just let the horse run and i know it's 2020 but we saw this coming everyone saw this coming and what happened was what we saw coming and perhaps it it wouldn't have mattered perhaps they would have kept him locked in perhaps he wouldn't have been fast enough to force Maxim or excuse me to force authentic to go uh, much faster than he did but uh, It it was a little, I understand the frustration on the part of people who bet on his, the law on, on his connections. And and I understand, you know, where Franco's coming from too. And that if he goes out there and gets in a speed duel, then everybody, you know, crucifies him too. So you're kind of a damned if you do damned if you don't situation. But in my mind, I want to take a shot of getting out of the scenario that has not worked for my horse. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. It's just, uh, it's just going in there and and conceding the lead to authentic and sitting behind him. and letting kick dirt in your face. I don't see a a good. I don't see how that's going to work out at all. And uh, and it sounds like they're going to make a jockey change. And the fact is, the horse. I I was a big fan of Tiz the Laws. I, I thought that Barkley did a great job, and with him. Get it coming into the Derby, and uh, he never really got broke through. He 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 was run zeros on the sheets, and he never really broke through um, past that. And I don't know what he earned on Saturday, but I'm going to guess it was not faster than a zero. Um, I would guess that for sure. And we're talking thoroughgraph sheets here. Um, it's, uh, it's nice to see that he's coming back next year. There's no reason to think that he won't improve as a four-year-old. He certainly seemed to be a sound horse. He, he didn't miss uh, a work, as far as I know, uh, that wasn't weather-related the whole year. Um, but he did have a long campaign, and he is going to be pointed towards the Pegasus, um, which you would have thought maybe authentic would have run in there is he would have been a prohibitive favorite but uh Baffert doesn't like Gulfstream he doesn't he rarely runs there and the ownership which is mostly people who are heavily invested in the breeding business including Spencer Farm which owns a stud farm they feel like they want to go out uh, on top and don't want to don't want to risk anything when i mean i i understand it i may not have to like it it seems like people that are worth billions of dollars could take a chance and that their investment might be worth 10 percent less than you know say the horse is worth 50 million now maybe worth 45 if he got beat in that race i don't know it's uh I hate to try to spend uh, other people's money or, or, tell people what to do with their money. But when you're a billionaire, I just don't quite have the same, uh, empathy for, for you. And so he's off Tom's the Todd. It's go off the stud and is off the stud. Uh, maximum security off the stud and higher powers off the stud. I'd be honest. I had forgotten who higher power was. He ran one good race in two years. And then he's off the stud, but it doesn't really make much difference because he hasn't really run very well since the Pacific Classic last year. Um, the Pegasus is, I you know, it's. A, I don't know what kind of race we're gonna we're gonna get here because I thought that most of the major contenders ran in in the, the Classic this year. It wasn't like there was a couple of you were saying and stuff. Well, geez, if this guy had got in or if this horse had been ready or, man, uh, I wish you know he he was, he had been entered, he'd have been my long shot pick, and I, I don't know who that, I don't know who you would, you would call, um, that, that horse for this year, I just, I don't, uh, certainly, uh, Nashville was the one horse that everybody was kind of thinking, hey, after the fact, <laughs> maybe they should have run in the sprint, um, but, um, uh, you know, King Guillermo's coming back for the Naira Mile, but, do we really know how good he is? Um, global campaign, they're saying that he might stick around for one more race before he goes to stud. And I, I don't see why they wouldn't, considering his is getting out of the business. And it will literally be the last start that he makes. Um, running poorly in the race is not going to affect his his value very much. Winning the race might actually help and it's still a three, $3 million race. So, um, I mean, I'm guessing he's going to go to stud in, in the, in the 15 to $20,000 range. So the million five is, is, uh, it's about a hundred covers. So it, it, it almost be like, a, a, another season of, of racing, but, uh, excuse me, of, of, uh, covering mares. So we'll see, uh, we'll see what, how, how that shakes out. And, uh, it's good to see that the Phillies, um, are coming back. Uh, Swiss skydiver is scheduled to return to, to, uh, to race next year. The four year old Monomoy girl is scheduled to return, which was a little bit of a surprise considering, uh, she was purchased for $9.5 million on Sunday night, um, which is a considerable amount of money for any horse, especially, um, a filly that can only produce one uh, one foal a year, not like a stallion that, that which become ATM machines, especially if they're good. But uh, it's 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 kind of nice to see that. Um, Godstorm, Stormy's going to make her. Uh, I think she's a five year old. Uh, she'll she'll be back, um, which is nice to see. Um, and I, I hope these guys take some shots against the boys because the boys do not look to be real strong next year it's uh the three-year-olds outside of um, authentic really kind of puttered out and it would be nice to to see the run running those races because i mean in, in a lot of cases they might just be the better horse so i'm guessing monomoy girls has a light campaign something like this year probably start out maybe late spring early summer pointing for the breeders cup and uh i'm guessing i know there's been some talk about swiss skydiver perhaps racing in the pegasus though i would just as i have no insider information i've not talked to anyone about this but i'm guessing that they might want to give her a little bit more time off considering she had a pretty lengthy uh campaign and she kind of got roughed up in the class in the distaff excuse me in a race that i really didn't like her and i thought that this would be the day that that the regression really hit and i do think it happened and I know she broke poorly, and that certainly re- killed any chance she had of winning the race. But even so, she made a nice move up the inside to kind of threaten, and then just kind of, you know, she kind of uh, petered out in the last 16th of a mile. And, and uh, I mean, Alvarado didn't abuse her, of course. But um, I think that the the campaign uh, and the, the breaking slow stumbling at the start really just kind of did her in and i would be surprised because if you're going to run at the end of january you cannot give your horse a whole lot of time off it's it's november 10th so you've got to if you're going to try to win this race you've got to be in full flight training um at least the first week of december so that doesn't leave much that's not much time and uh And we'll see. We'll see how it it all shakes out. Um, Joining us, appreciate him giving us some time, is the National HBPA's Eric Hamelback. Eric, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, man. How are you, Chuck? Everything's good. Everything's good. How about your way?
0: Well, we don't have 65-mile-an-hour winds and torrential rains (laughs) today, so uh, we're going to call it a good day. We, uh, our friends over at Pompano Park had to cancel again tonight. Their, their their opening night has been has been shifted three times already. They they got nailed uh, Sunday night because of the weather. Monday because of the after effects of the weather, seemingly uh, destroying some of their uh, electric equipment. And uh, yeah. today uh, is the you know the one thing about these storms down here is that regardless of how prepared we are in South Florida for hurricanes and bad weather is that there's never enough emergency generators available. <laughs> so like, you know, you'd think that everybody would have uh, the stocked up with emergency generators, but, uh, you know, you, if whenever you really need one, they're, they're always kind of in short supply. <laughs> but uh,
1: I know the feeling. I was there and still living there in 2005 when we had, uh, was it five or six hurricanes seemed like a hundred but uh yeah I, I distinctly remember after each one hit thinking boy i should go buy a generator <laughs> and then <laughs> didn't think about it again until the next one hit so
0: no it's also you know you also say to yourself man i wish i'd stocked up on water and man i wish i <laughs> bought bought all the gas uh, that's the funniest thing that happens in hurricanes down here <clears throat> is that people freak out and go get gas even if the hurricane's not going to hit for like four <laughs> or five days right and i kept saying to myself when i first got here because I had always come in the wintertime, and I would left. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I was rarely here for hurricane season. Like, what are they going to do? Are you going to fill your car up, then you're not going to drive? Because, <laughs> you know, why are you going to wait in line for an hour to get gas to fill it up if, if it's Tuesday and the storm's going to hit Saturday? Like, what are you going to do? Are you just, like, biking <laughs> it from here on in? It's it's just a very odd occurrence, but, you know, the media gets people stirred up. and uh, Yeah. You know, they love it. The, the 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 weather guys, I mean this is like I mean that's like their Super Bowl hurricane season because they get to come on and they break in and they talk about shears and all these you know, <laughs> exactly. these fancy terms and uh you know and sometimes the storm turns the other way and nothing happens. But uh Right,
1: right, right.
0: But you guys got great weather for the Breeders' Cup this weekend, man. It's uh
1: I tell you what, Chuck, it was um you know, with the pandemic <laughs> Obviously, moving the Derby, Uh, absolutely gorgeous day in September. Um, And then this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and even into Sunday for the first part of the or for the phasic sale as the sales start. And today, it's. I mean, it's just gorgeous. So, I mean, it's probably the best fall we've had in a long time. I think most would agree that lived here for a while. We've been pretty dry. Uh, coming into fall the past few years, so we haven't had a lot of rain this year. We've had, you know, with, thanks to some hurricanes and traveling this way, we've had plenty of rain through the summer, and we just had a absolutely gorgeous fall, and, and the leaves are turning, definitely my favorite time to be in Kentucky, no doubt.
0: I, I said last week's show, I said, you know, it's just a, such a 2020 thing that the the three Triple Crown events – <laughs> they were held without fans uh had the most perfect days and, and then the breeders cup weekend <laughs> exactly. though though there was a lot of people there i I have to say the uh, for for a fanless event the the place seemed relatively packed but um
1: yeah they I'm not sure I personally did not go didn't didn't uh, want to attend or get in the way, so to speak, but I agree with you, just watching on t v uh, there were more than i thought um to be honest and i talked to a few friends that uh they were a little surprised at how many people were there so hopefully our governor didn't jump out of his skin when he saw it on tv but uh, uh they did enjoy a beautiful day no doubt
0: yeah the, the you know it's going to happen as soon as uh things kind of go back to normal and Fans are allowed back in. We'll get uh, the worst weather possible, I'm sure. We'll get <laughs>
1: right.
0: lightning and thunderstorms and muddy tracks. But uh, exactly. but it, it went off almost without a hitch. I mean, there was one little incident in the, on yeah, the, the, second, the race. second race on, on Saturday that was, I mean, you, you hate to even talk in this way. But, you know, thankfully it was it's early in the morning and there wasn't hardly anybody there. And, uh yeah. It wasn't yeah. like we had that issue last year with the horse and the classic uh, getting right. hurt, and so it's it's always a uh, you, know, you know like you hold your breath these days. It's um, it's just the way of the world, and uh, I mean it, it sucks no matter what. <laughs> like it, you never no. get used to it, and, and you, you know, I mean, you have family with horses, and yeah, you know. No, you you're just, right,
1: and it's getting worse. You know, I think. You know, as, as we've moved into this era of, of horse racing and a lot of the attacks that we've seen from the animal rights extremist groups, you know, all of us that have been in this either all our lives or, like me, most all my life, it's going to happen, right? We know it's going to happen. There's, there's really no protection that you can do to ever stop it completely, no matter if you're at the racetrack or on the farm. Um, but now the heightened sensitivity, like like you said, it just takes my breath away waiting for a race to end. And I've said this to friends before, and, and you may feel a little bit the same, but there, there's a little bit of element of fun that's gone out of it because I'm so worried about ramifications of, of things I can't control, um, but at the end of the day, just you know, how are we going to be attacked if something bad happens plays in my mind for, you know, a minute 30 to two minutes, and and that's that takes a toll, uh, you know, it takes a toll on you uh, as a professional in this industry right now. And, and uh, I don't know sometimes how trainers can deal with it. Um, you know, owners have that euphoric feeling all the time, but, you know, I always said most horsemen that I know, and I know myself is in this category, you know, true horsemen are pessimists because we're always going to kind of plan for the worst. Um, and nowadays, just all of the extracurricular rhetoric and noise that occurs if something happens, um, nobody gives any light to the, to the sensitivity of the people involved with the horse. They just want to make a negative persona out of the whole thing, you know. So it's tough. but but we keep doing it because we love the horse, right?
0: That's true. Uh, I mean, if you think about, and I believe this is true in in most areas of our society these days where everything has gotten to have a political tinge to it, Mm -hmm. whether it's um, people freaking out because of athletes speaking out about uh, injustices that they see, Uh, if it's... um, the 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 virus the vaccine the the, there's just so much that that becomes political and um you know we're not certainly immune to that in that um there's people there's forces out there that are going to do everything in their power to make us look bad and this is one of the issues that i had um and I, and I, I, I kick myself sometimes for getting involved in these stupid Twitter fights. But when I see industry people like trying to poo-poo the fact that there was five track record set at Keeneland on the main course this weekend, I know. <laughs> I, I, as, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, "Hey guys, shut up, okay? Exactly. Shut up! Don't, don't, don't try to defend it. No one, uh, you know, I, I wasn't pointing fingers at anyone other than to say it's, it's not." This is bad. This is not like what we should be. We shouldn't have our, our championship races run over tracks that are so souped up fast.
1: Yeah.
0: And, yes, I'm not claiming that they were biased and it was all speed because it wasn't. Right. But to, to deny that that the track was especially fast. And, and, you know, one of my points was, hey, if this was Lone Star and you don't have this quality of horse running out your track you. very often, if ever, and these kind of, you know, these kind of horses were just better than what normally runs. And, and the truth of the matter about track records is most track records are set b- because the track is really fast that day. Right, right. I mean, there's a lot of ordinary horses that hold track records that, one, you know, set them because the track, you know, they, they ran exceptionally well that day, but because the track itself was very, very fast at, at, okay. that day as well. But, um... You know, it's sometimes we have people in the industry that just simply defend across the board things that, you know, like when you put up a defense for something, when people aren't really attacking it they're just making the point, then it's it's like the guilty look. And I mean, you know, if I'm an uh, animal rights person, I'm jumping on boards and I'm saying, oh, you know, you know, look, why are they defending this, you know, blah, yeah. blah, 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 that poor horse, blah, 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 blah. And and that's why I think some of the the whip rule changes are just mistakes in that, uh, and and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have strict regulations because I believe we should. I I think that we should have strict regulations in a lot of areas that we don't. That we have a lot of fuzzy, um, you know, fuzzy kind of rules that are nebulous in a lot of ways, and they're you know kind of well, uh, you know, we've always allowed this, so you know. You know, kind of like when you, the speed limit says 65 and you know you can drive like 72 and yeah. probably be safe. And th- under the scrutiny that we get with the the coverage that we have. And, and one of the things that, that racing has always longed for is starting to get, and that's television coverage. And when you get more national television coverage, well... You're exposing yourself to bigger audiences who are going to ask questions. And right. that's something that, um, you know, especially with the whip rules, because the whip rules are something that it's, it's a tangible thing to a viewer or, or, or a better. It's someone who sees the difference. When you watch a race and um, guys are, are only allowed to strike the horse underhanded or they're they're only – Um, they're only allowed three strikes or five strikes or whatever it is. It looks different. It looks different. Like when you change medication rules, and this is something I've preached for a long time. I said, listen, they've changed medication rules since I was a trainer like four times. Right. You know, there's been a lot of different changes of medication rules and they're almost always taking something away or pushing it further out, which is fine. But, you didn't notice the difference because no one notices the difference because it's not something you're going to notice the difference at, and we're talking legal medications too,
1: right? And that's why I, I and that's why I'm so adamant about trying to get people to understand that, you know, there, there's going to continue to be this argument of Lasix, but you know, just like with the the changes in the crop rules, you know, there's a there's an obvious difference that I would consider most viewers are going to con- going to see as positive, but if you do take away legal therapeutic medication, Lasix, at the current mode of administration that we have, physically you're going to see more epistaxis. And, you know, I draw back to being 17 years old at Louisiana Downs and having a Philly die in my lap who bled out, right? So you don't have a lot of people that See that anymore, and and you know, as, as you're talking about, could be a positive for limiting strikes or limiting the use. I mean, I'm not one for banning it. I, I, you probably aren't either, because I've ridden enough horses to know that it, it, there is control. But you know, when you when you take away the utilization of of Lasix, there's going to be, I think, one day, um, whether it's one race or three races in the Breeders' Cup or the Derby or Preakness or Belmont, I'm afraid that with that increased TV coverage, that's going to be the video that shows up on Twitter, you know, and gets a million hits because you're going to have that mentality of, well, look what they're doing to these horses, you know, and that's what scares me the most. I mean, a lot of people, you know, argue over Lasix till they're blue in the face, and I a, I don't believe Lasix has ever been proven to do anything wrong, but uh, in this day and age, as we were saying in the beginning, that political narrative that everything's taking I mean think of what a PETA is going to do with a video of a horse who is you know is coming back with with a jock with blood all over their pants I mean it it just it scares the hell out of me is what it does Chuck you know
0: even like. I, I get that, Eric, and, and I agree with you. But um, even more importantly, and I, and I think um, the more damage is going to be done in areas that are just unseen, that the trainers are going to see, mm-hmm. that the people aren't going to see. They're going to have horses that, that bleed, that, they can't stop bleeding. Mm-hmm. And i get sick of hearing people and this mostly comes from people that don't have a penny invested in the business that horse bleed they shouldn't be racing right Right. and that's just laughable laughable because they they don't no no one's no one's calling up the racing form and saying yep my horse bled let me know you know if maybe in a big stake or something something happens a horse runs inexplicably bad you'll see that but (laughs) Those, those races only make up a, a, a minute percentage of the races that we run in this country. Yeah.
1: And I've 0. said 7%.
0: I've said this for years, that taking LASIKs away is essentially a tax on the owner because it's going to cost the owner of the horse more money, period. LASIKs is cheap. LASIKs is, is available to everyone. It's, it's standardized, and it does work. It's not infallible. It's not perfect. But, but either is chemo. And if you have cancer, you're not going to want to hear, well, you know, it only works on uh, 8 out of 10 people. Yeah. And that's the same thing with Lasix. I, I've trained for a long time. I've worked for uh, on the backside my entire life. And I keep telling people, give me something else. Give me something that yep. works. Something Show that. me how to do it. And don't tell me there's nonsense that, oh, it's the way you train them or it's the way they're this or the way they're that, blah, blah, blah. Come on. Yeah. Those and that's that's another group of people who don't know what the hell they're talking about. To right. just throw things out there and 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 people get to thinking, wow, well, that you know that sounds right. And next thing you know, it's taken as as that's a credible, um, yeah. a credible yeah. version of, of events, and it just exactly. isn't. And I, I tell the story a couple of times. I had a Philly in Chicago, a couple of, about about a decade ago, and she was a little horse. She wasn't much to her. She got she got ready quicker than I thought she did. she she was going to. She was a two year old. The owner, a great guy, a guy named Bob Gary, lived in in Chicago, and um, you know we always would try to try to race his horses up there when we could. And yeah. um, we ran her in a maiden twenty five, five ace on the turf, first time out. I said, you know, let's just go without lasix. It's the middle of summer. It's really hot. And it's it's a you know it's a five ace turf race it's really short and uh, mm-hmm. she you know we haven't had any issues with her and um, let's just let's just take a shot and we'll go without lasix and and, and go from there and, and like I said she was a really she was kind of a oh not not like um, she just did just wasn't much she probably weighed seven hundred and fifty pounds yeah you know yeah. she's just kind of a small horse and lasix does make them uh, I mean it, it, they pee a lot of water they lose a lot of water weight and right. Uh there was a race 2 weeks after that race and I was thinking man if I could run her here kind of use it as a workout even if she do, you know if she doesn't win maybe we can wheel her right back and and then see what happens and she ran second and she did not bleed we we scoped her after the race she did not bleed So again this is a filly that's never bled <laughs> ran her back in that race 2 weeks later she wins Scope her after the race not a nothing not a drop of blood perfect yeah. Well the problem with two year olds in the summertime when they win Maiden twenty fives are there's not a lot of other races for you to run in outside of stakes. Uh, and they actually got a allowance race to fill on Arlington Million Day. It was uh the la- actually the last race of the day. It was a two year race and there were a lot of horses in kind of the same situation. They broke their maiden and, and they really didn't have uh they weren't like Saratoga or Del Mar type uh um, you know, stakes horses, so it was a big field and and we ran her in the race and she was like 20 to one and um she made a nice run at the quarter pole she actually looked like she was going to get a piece then just Mm -hmm. backed up in the stretch and we you know we sculpted her and um i remember it was pretty near eight o'clock at night before the vet got over to scoper and she had bled a five out of five really yeah. bad now remember this is a horse that we had scoped many times before that had never bled you know bled yeah. anything and i didn't put her on lasix for that race and i had considered it i really had considered it because i said you know she hasn't run in a while and it, it actually i think the distance was a was a little longer race it might, it might have even been a mile race um but um i it's thought about give her more stress, uh, yeah. i considered it i really did yeah. And I said, you know, let's. She's doing well without it. She has never bled. If she had bled at all, if she had, you know, shown any signs, I would have definitely done it. Yeah, I would have put her on. And I didn't. And she never actually recovered from that. Uh, I mean, yeah. she. We had a hell of a time getting her back to the races. Like I said, she was already a horse that didn't have a whole lot of, uh, uh, you know, bulk to her. And. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we went through all the processes of of giving her antibiotics and and putting her on uh, I think we we gave her clenbuterol to kind of clear her lungs out and gave her time and and she never she never really ran it she never even looked great after that and uh, and I always kicked myself because I said to them you know like I just should have put her on it and I think people underestimate that there's gonna I, be more circumstances like that.
1: No, I, I totally agree. And I, I've, you know, with with my history, being able to work around a lot of racehorses and even some clients now that, that I help, it's the psychological damage <laughs> uh, that I don't think people give enough appreciation to. Well, that those who aren't in the business don't give enough appreciation to and certainly don't understand it. But, you know, I worked, I had a friend with uh, Fort Lauren, Philly, that. Looked like she was going to be a really nice filly. Um, Wayne Catalano trained her, and um, she, working well. And they're going to sprint her at Churchill, and her second start, is she bled, and she bled pretty bad, and and she she never recovered. You know, just mentally, she never recovered. And and but going back to what you said in the beginning, though, I, I think it's a very important thing to point out that. Most people don't understand the variations of EIPH and bleeding, you know, and how significant, you know, a a three, let's say, on a scale of one to five can be because at the end of the day that A is going to cause probably a lung infection and B, one thing we do know about EIPH is that it's progressive. So, you know, I, I loved your analogy of it's essentially cheap insurance. Um, I use that a lot when trying to explain LASIK, especially in 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 DC. Uh, I try to make the very loose analogy like a vaccine. And you said it too. It, it doesn't always work, but at the end of the day, it can certainly lessen the severity of an episode, if not, you know, eliminate it from occurring. So, um, you know, I just I, I feel as if Lasix utilization has become one of those polarizing political sort of topics, and I really hate talking about it, but I don't want to see the negative effects of, A, equine health and welfare, but, B, I think from an economic standpoint, you're you're going to have more horses that are not able to race, so you're going to increase our... Our unwanted horse population and, and the needs of our aftercare folks are already, uh, you know, pushed to stressful limits. Um, I just don't see the need for it to create some sort of false sense of equality for international competition because at the end of the day, if you haven't been over there and really know, or, or in my case, talk to veterinarians who have been over there, it's not the same world. You, you touched on it a little bit. It's a different form of racing, right? It's You know, it's a different environment. You know, when we you mentioned hearing people talk about, you know, why you have to give it or not, it's it's not the same. And, and you know, horses live in beautiful farms and they ship to the racetrack. You don't have to live in, I always picture those old barns at Laurel and, and Hawthorne, you know, Those kind of areas where I think the epidemiology of EIPH needs to be further studied. Um, But it just doesn't seem worth it to me to really increase the incidences of of, of whether we're talking about horses that never race again or, in the worst-case scenario, equine sudden death syndrome, but going back to how I started that conversation with you know the public perception of of a horse where visually you see blood i think is going to be very damning and and i would also go so far as to say those animal rights extremist groups that are on the record saying they want to end horse racing they want nothing more than to have more ammunition to prove in their mind or to their constituency that hey this is this is not good for the animal um, so
0: it's, it's so it's so ironic that if you were a true animal rights activist <laughs> you would be pressing for a LASIK for use. LASIK exactly you wouldn't be pressing against it because you would say well hold on you have a physical issue mm-hmm. that's a legitimate physical issue this is not fantasy land and some some of the people on the anti-LASIK side have tried to point have, have tried to um sway opinion by saying it's not a big deal it doesn't happen it's just not that's just not true right. um there's just two things and the first is what is the goal of elimination of Lasix? like what is where is the benefit from a financial standpoint because there is none none, none. none. it's bullshit that they they came up with when when guys like Jerry Brown, who's an outspoken guy, and I, I agree with Jerry on a lot of stuff. I don't agree with him on everything, but when he's a guy that's got a lot of influence with a lot of players, actual physical people, not not batch players that are betting, you know, with with with, a, with an algorithm. Actual physical guys that send the money in that bet tons and tons and tons of money. Say. We do not support the elimination of that. We want it. We've figured out what we're where we're at. We're the people that are putting up the money that makes this business go. And we're not for it. But they ignore those people. They ignore them. And I know Jerry's worked with them with the jockey club and, and those people on, on things in um how to say uh uh, on the real drug issues,
1: right? The no real
0: issues yes, of of absolutely. Absolutely. performance enhancing, and let's just call a spade a spade. The Lasix issue is a made up issue. It's not a. It's not a real issue. It's made up. It's created by the industry by not being. I shouldn't say the industry by a few people that just don't like it, and their basis is almost not rational, and. In the end, we're a, a business that's shrinking, and we're, we're seeing uh, fewer horses bred. We're seeing fewer horses yep. bought at auction. We're seeing um, a consolidation of money at the top. The middle market is still devastatedly, you know, like yep. weak. And yep. those are the people it affects. It's not going to affect B. Wayne Hughes very much because yep. B. Wayne Hughes is, is a very very wealthy man, and he can he he you know those people at that level. They can take the hits. It's the guys that go out there and buy um, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars horses. They can't just take total losses because you know as well as I do. Everybody knows. Everybody buys horses, does it with their eyes wide open, or at least they should <laughs> okay. be. You're going to come up with a couple of bums no matter what. Absolutely. You know, you're going to have a couple of horses get hurt. But 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 EIPH bleeding is something that every horse is subject to at any time and. Yep. To take away, to say, "Hey, we this is a valid medical uh, a physical problem, and we're going to take away the best way of treating it." It just it doesn't make sense. what's the goal? I, I I keep asking people, and and this is something that I've asked a couple times, and I get no answer. People like literally don't answer me. <laughs> Has anyone ever done an economic impact study on what would happen? In a in a world without LASIKs, yeah,
1: no, I mean absolutely not, and, and
0: because they and don't want to do it because they, they know what it. it's going to, exactly. they know what the results are going to be. It's just like exactly. w- when I first moved to Florida, uh, the the second year I think I was down here, there was a study that uh, that um, was went on at, at uh, Gulfstream in the summertime <laughs> regarding two year olds, only two year olds, and every two-year-old was scoped and they had dr. some they selway. had some no yeah dr selway did did, did the uh the study was uh, i think Ziad put some money up the jockey club put some money up um and every horse was scoped and and the and the fhba signed off on it and said hey listen great let's let's do it let's find out what the results are here we are 4 years later no results because the results came back and it didn't fit the didn't narrative
1: and that's a big fear of mine, Chuck, when you look at the federal bill, that they may very well pass, but they have this, this um, what I'm going to call a pseudo-study and the verbiage that was inserted to somewhat placate those of us who have talked about the, the fear, whether it's health and welfare or, or economic you know, the study in there doesn't even have the wording that it will be peer-reviewed, right? And it, it, it doesn't, you know, we've, we've gone through Freedom of Information requests on trying to get the study that was done in California on some of the re- results were put out about 24-hour LASIKs could be as efficacious. Well, if that's the case, then why are they pushing now for 48 hours? So, you know, it, it, if it doesn't fit their narrative. There's enough powerful people that can make it move along and or disappear, and that really fears, or that fear is in me with this federal bill because it, as much as we've tried to even add some amendments that would make it more, again palatable, they won't. You know, they they want nothing to do with it. In other words, they want to control the narrative. It's it's a study that will be given to this new holier than thou authority that's set up and it doesn't have any ramifications even even if it is said to be not in the best interest of the horse so you
0: you know what bothers me eric as as much as anything is that people you especially because of your position uh, and and i don't mean to speak for you but correct me if i'm wrong (laughs) and it's not that we don't want regulation it's we want good regulation exactly And and that's what I've argued for a long time because I've gotten to arguments with people who say, well, you know, you're for the status quo. I said, no, not for the status quo. But if you're going to change a rule, don't change it where it, it worse. Or right. it's it, it's not going to be effective, and, and this is what what happens. And you're seeing it with the whip rules. You're seeing it where New Jersey set, set their rule, and New York is in the process of setting their rule, and California set a different uh, rule, and, and they're all different from place to place to place. Florida yeah. has set no rules. Kentucky, I'm not sure what they're doing. And you know, it, it's like, guys, this is this is you know this is like change for change's sake. Mm -hmm. doesn't always – I shouldn't say doesn't always. It almost never works. Like, let's make the rules effective. You can go back to to steward's decisions, to to how, as an industry, we haven't been able to come up with um, a standardized, uh, accepted practice, practical rules on what qualifies as a penalty for disqualification and what doesn't. That's another thing. That's a tangible thing that people feel. Um, I, I was in a meeting one time of a, a horseman's meeting with uh, with regulators, and I said, "Guys, you talk about the drug rules; so we're, we're, we're blue in the face. Nothing, nothing gets people more upset—horsemen, owners, betters—than bad disqualifications yeah. or questionable disqualifications. When they see something happen, and then a horse is taken down." And then the same thing, or something extremely similar happens a few days later, a few weeks later, and it doesn't and uh, you you don't you know we rarely even get explanations. I said that's like you're taking the money out of the guy's pocket when you take his horse down <laughs> then, you know when, when, when a when a positive test comes up um you know for some substance that was three nanograms over and, and by the time all the uh split samples are back and and the the uh, the appeals are exhausted. It's, it's five months later. It doesn't quite have the effect of somebody saying, "Hey, I bet that race, and I bet the runner-up." And man, I feel like I got screwed out of there. Yeah, it's a different thing when it happens right to you. When you just had the exhilaration of winning a race, um, yeah. whether you know, like I said, you're the connections of the horse, or you're the, you're the people who person who bet on it, and then have it taken away in a seeming arbitrarily uh, arbitrary fashion, which sometimes. These things happen, and I, I get stewards' decisions sometimes are are, are not black and white. But yeah, we don't yeah, do a good job of trying to figure this out, and, and that's something right. that, that when you, you you think, okay, we're screwing the whip rules up. We've never got the stewards' uh, decisions, you know, on, on fouls in a race, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, but we're going to get the drug rules right, <laughs> and it's going to be done by a panel of people like the New Jersey Racing Commission that set these ridiculous whip rules where yeah. essentially you can't even use it at all. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it's it's all people that are, are not really, you know, they're all political appointees that, that don't have any skin in the game and don't have the experience to understand the, the, the mess you're, they're going to create. I talked to Chris DiCarlo about it, and Chris has been riding a long time. And Chris is a a a, a, a smart guy, and, and he, he – he gets, you know, he he sees things from a big picture standpoint, which is why I wanted him on. And, you know, we got to talking about all the possible implications. And I said, you know how long it's going to take to make a race official if you're not allowed to strike a horse one time even? Just, you, you know, to, you're going to have to go back. And, and 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 essentially go through the whole race to make sure the jockey never struck the horse at all except right. for you know quote unquote safety purposes, which right. now you're making the, the steward um you know read the jockey's mind and exactly. I said this is a giant like a, a giant uh, can of worms that they're opening that it's going to be hard to enforce this harder than harder than it looks because you get these turf races when you've got a bunch of horses in a group kind of finishing and everybody's pushing and shoving and trying to get to where they're going to be it's 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 you don't always have a great angle and uh, i just think it it all it all um i've tried to to frame it where people say hey listen if we're not doing a good job in these areas why do you think we're going to do a good job in this area and why do you think that this this panel that's going to get shoved down everybody's throat that can't have any connection I, i was trying to think like who could possibly be on a group like that um, or a, a panel like that, that would have any real clue considering you're, you're allowed to have like virtually no connection no. at all. Like if
1: you, yeah, I, I've struggled with that as well. I mean, it's, it's again, scary. I've used it a couple of times now, but, but that's a, that's a possibility of, of who gets on there. And if it's, influenced by certain members of who's pushed this bill forward, you know, in my mind it's going to be nothing more than right back in the same boat we're in. And, and again, you know, my organization, myself in particular, we don't we don't have a problem with independence and, you know, and, and certainly having a transparent, independent body oversee us, right? That, that's not the problem. You know, one of my biggest problems about this new authority is if you read bill that there's no way to really get them out Uh, let's let's say the industry came together and said you know uh, other than lobbying the nominating committee uh, you know granted nobody's seen any bylaws but again the that that body is is a very concerning body because of the stringent non-conflictual interest that they would have with the industry so yeah trying to pinpoint somebody um, you know, that's, you know, maybe a positive would be a long-time AAEP president, right, that practiced on the racetrack, <laughs> but right. they're, they're retired, you know, five, ten years ago, but you know as well as I do, if you're, when you're out of this industry for two or three years, you are already behind the eight ball because a lot of new things have happened. So,
0: Well, I would think that a retired person's last... Uh Place would they would to want to go to is a, a governmental panel that, 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 with a bunch of people that don't know what they're to, that, they're looking <laughs> exactly. at, and you, you just rational. run, you know, you you run that risk of uh, of politics getting in. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to consider that these positions, these boards, aren't going to have a number of
1: people. Well, and plus they're going to get paid, right? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's pretty well known, and it's been said by other other entities alphabet soups within this industry now that are supporting the federal bill the authority is gonna get paid so who's gonna pay him because it ain't gonna be the federal government no
0: well that that's an uh, that was a question I was gonna ask you um, mm-hmm. coming up kind of as, as a um, <laughs> this is this is the one thing where, where whenever and I'm not a political person like mm-hmm. I, I don't get uh, it's just these days it's impossible to have a conversation um that that's it, it depending on who you're talking to it's almost impossible to have a conversation um that's in, in the middle somewhere where people kind of see yeah. both sides of the story and remember politics aren't just the president there's a lot of other politics oh, yeah. right right down to the um you know, we had an issue with Gulfstream during the initial stages of the pandemic, where we had a a vice mayor, which I never even knew what that knew, that knew what a vice mayor was, um, who was down here trying to shut us down for no real reason other than she wanted. I guess I I, I don't really know. It never we never really actually got a reason, and I don't know what she caused. Billy, if Billy Badgett still had any hair. He would have pulled it all out. Dealing with this person at the lowest level of government, essentially trying to shut down a business that that uh, did two billion dollars of, of of handle last year, right. and that that's one of those things that um, you know politics will make you cringe. In that there's so many layers of politics, and when you get like these boards, and if they're going to pay them, I mean, if if, if people on the president's cabinet can be can be there because they're big donors and it happens with all of them for the last 25 30 years they 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 are given influence because of money that they're giving and they're not essentially qualified but this is going to happen with these we see that in, in state racing commissions all the time um, I mean down here in florida we don 't even have a recent Ever. commission yeah. we have this you know this hodgepodge business regulation deal and and honestly i 'll be honest the the guy um who's in charge right now uh, 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 trombetta is is his name he actually is is, is he 's pretty good i mean he works uh he worked hard to to understand the 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 industry and he yeah. listens and uh, um i mean certainly he 's still kind of constricted by the the government itself sure. and what he can and can't do I mean the laws are, are are such and it's it's hard to change race and this is something you tell people too it's hard to change laws pertaining to racing because we're not important we don't spend that whole that much money lobbying yep. and this is pretty much everywhere and you know when bills go forward um, things get attached to them and. Yep. <laughs> You know our bills like you know, I mean, we're, we're attached to this, who cares about this you know <laughs> simulcast rate thing blah 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 it just it it's not something that has a priority in and in, in most government and it's like man are we i I worry about the cost Eric like what is the where are we with um how is this going to be funded because this has been a question I've asked since day one um if you don't tell me how this is gonna be funded. I can never support it because
1: right. and that's and that's the that is the one thing that continues to come up the most. And I I'll take a big step backwards and and tell you that in 2015, before I was even in this position, right? I was still on the board of trustees at Tope. Um, Mike McMahon and I uh, were appointed as a special committee to investigate the federal bill um, and the initial. Toba statement was, you know, conditional support based off of answering these number of things. One was about USADA, um, but mainly the issue that everybody in that room at the time had was how is it going to be funded for? And this this, this bill goes all the way back to the one that actually specifically said tracks are forbid forbidden to raise takeout okay right. so we're talking about the original bar bill right. um, but nobody had any real answer for how the funding mechanism would be put forth or, or, or what it would cost period and so you know we, I had a conference call with with Congressman Barr's office um, asking that very question because what some of us did was, look at the 990s from USADA at the time and I'm going to give you generic information so if somebody quotes me as not being factual, this is is generic, but based on their income and the number of tests that they ran, they were pushing about $1,300 a sample, okay? So when you look at most, and I'm going to give an average of, let's say, most jurisdictions are somewhere around $250 a sample. Some are even much lower than that, but, but still, on the higher end, nobody is even close to $1,300 a sample. So, okay, well, you're putting an in- entity who's well-known for positive things in the human world in charge of an equine world that they have no knowledge or basis in, and here's what it looked like they charge... Somebody needs to tell us where this money is coming from. Now, fast forward to what we're dealing with now in the pandemic. You know, I mean, Jesus, the purses are down thirty percent through the first three quarters. You know, so our, our industry is hurting, and yet you're going to you're going to put an unfunded mandate through as a bill when, at the end of the day, millions of dollars are going to be levied on the backs of horsemen, essentially, and by that I mean the owners. You know, it's 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 gonna get passed down. And we've been asking until I'm blue in the face, um, sat down physically with with Tonko and Barr on numerous occasions, just asking for some sort of economic impact study or or at least a an understanding of what how it was gonna be paid for. I mean, even if they told me we don't know. I think I would have felt better. But to this point, where we are now, it has never been answered and has never been defined. The only thing that will get thrown out there on occasion is a PowerPoint demonstration or presentation, I should say, a PowerPoint presentation that was given, I think, in the 2014 Jockey Club Roundtable that talked about, you know, if, quote, unquote, USADA, came into play, you know, here's some of the cost structure, and that's where a lot early on, although they haven't used it recently, the early verbiage was, oh, well, it'll be somewhere between 45 and $62 per start in the race. Well, you know, you start adding that up, it's it's pretty substantial. And the way the new bill reads, the the racetracks essentially can wash their hands of it and the commission can allocate it to anybody they want. Now, maybe that's a good thing because I have been on the record and and wrote a white paper, uh, a checkoff system, that would allow for entities, much like the Beef Council does, to help fund their uh, advertising, that everybody pays a little piece, right? So, you know, right now, would, would I be happy if ADW companies helped us with some of this? Absolutely. Um, but there needs to be a better allocation and at least a plan in place before you put it in. You know, what what we're looking at now, especially with the Federal Trade Commission involvement, you're looking at if this bill passes, there'll be a technical corrections bill that has to come back. And what that means simply to me and to you as layman of politics, they're going to have to fix it. Because the Federal Trade Commission, who I've met with twice, has no idea about this bill. They have no idea about the structure. They certainly don't have anybody in their offices now that can deal with this. How are they going to oversee budgets of of 34 active paramutual jurisdictions in the United States? So if it gets signed, you're going to have to kick it back. They'll go through the technical corrections bill. Who the hell knows how long that's going to take? But, you know, why are you doing it? Much like I say with, you know, putting the cart before the horse, if you're going to study LASIKs, why do you ban it? You know, why, why are you implementing all of this, this these, these protocols and regulations that for the most part already exist with a duplicative now body that you're going to have to then figure out how and what and who does everything? It just makes no sense. And, uh, you know, the... From the increased bureaucratic layer alone, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, I can talk at length, too, about why so many people consider this unconstitutional. I mean, PASPA was repealed, what is it, two years ago now, and it did exactly what this bill is, is setting up to do, and that's, that's taking away states' rights and telling the states what to do. Um, And I know there's a fine line with interstate commerce, and, you know, there's a lot of legal arguments on both sides, but that's maybe what it comes down to is uh, somebody's going to have to prove in court that this is legal. And there's a fair number of attorney generals that don't think what they see now is legal when you look at the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution and states' rights. So, you know, I'm not an attorney. And, um, <laughs> never played one on t v but um, didn't
0: stay in a holiday Inn express didn't last night. <laughs> stay in a holiday in
1: express last night, so yeah. you know it uh but i i i'm I'm working with a lot of very intelligent people and and there's a lot of holes in this bill that only lead to you know a, a, an initiative by those who can't explain it. They just want it their way,
0: yeah. I know that the USTA is definitely going to present a legal challenge. Yeah, yeah, and and they really got got like we got thrown under the bus. They they got backed over a couple times because <laughs> exactly. you know they're they're kind of feeling the the brunt of issues that don't really affect them. And and right. and and the, and the wild part about it is that essentially this whole thing is is more or less to just get rid of Lasix yeah. because you read and and again I don't. I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a politician, and I read the bill and I, I understand what I understand or what it's interpreted to me. But, you know, you, you, the U.S. ADA is not its not prepared to be able to handle the number of samples. It's just going to get farmed back to the people who are doing it already.
1: Already, yeah. Last year alone, we did close to 264,000 biological samples in horse racing. That's all three breeds. But the racing commissions that we have, so you know, it's two hundred sixty-three thousand seven hundred forty-eight, something mm-hmm. like that. Ninety-nine point four five percent of those were violation-free, right? So, so no, no therapeutic overage, no POD overage. It's, um, it's just so, or PDE overage. So it's it's uh, it's again one of those things that, as as you probably said before, and I've said, you know, this is definitely a solution in search of a problem right D- do i think we need to test better absolutely but you know you got you got dr malin up there that found a drug in a standard horse that had never been seen even by human laboratories i mean wada literally wrote him a you know pat on the back email and saying wow you found this holy shit you know yeah. so it's it's not that our laboratories are as some people want to proclaim behind the times for god's sakes the reason that i scream every day for screening limits is because the limit of detection is so low that you know every environmental transfer positive gets called and and that's not fair to horsemen and the only people getting rich are lawyers you know right? I,
0: so, I i did a show of last week about this or two weeks ago mm-hmm. and and part of it was i said I, i'm not defending bob baffert bob baffert is doing a mm-hmm. poor job of of quality control in his barn right. but these are not these are not smoking guns these are right. kind of everyday kind of you know medications and 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 this is the thing is it it's it's though um i, I remember i watched a, i don't know if you ever saw the show uh on hbo the wire and the one season of The Wire, it was kind of focused on the Baltimore Police Department and how they were trying. The mayor was trying to make to help his 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 reelection campaign by making the crime numbers look better. And what they did was they arrested people for. <laughs> anything you know and, and they arrested they him and they adjudicated him and it's like okay you're arrested okay you know blah 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 and, and and of course oh yeah look we're turning all these cases over and then of course that there was these you know they found like 27 dead bodies and all of a sudden everybody went nuts because that was going to screw their numbers up and and this is this is the thing with, with our testing is that we're not finding the dead bodies we're, we're we're getting a guy that was going 32 in a 30 and it's not okay to do that but my my point was that the system sucks, and it has sucked. And the RMTC—I I was shocked to find out that the RMTC was approving or, uh, uh, you know, suggested rules uh, on a ninety-five percent basis, meaning that it, yeah. that ninety-five percent of the time the, the test came back negative. I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> if you tested every horse on a on a given day at a, at, a, at a track that ran a lot of horses, you'd have five positives every day, Absolutely. and it would be medications that. Everyone else was was using in the same, same fashion, and it's like I don't think people realize sometimes that the the like you're saying the 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 um the levels are so re- remote there's no proof at all that these uh are performance enhanced yeah. Listen if you're an outsider and you anybody even people in the business, your first reaction to a positive test is to think that well if that's where they set the limit, then that must be where the performance enhancing starts. And that's just not the not case. True. It's just, uh, they're, they're, they're levels that are set by the laboratory as sometimes as, as where they can actually start to yeah, it's, it's you know, detect
1: detection. it. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if your lab can go to, you know, five picograms, but, you know, another lab can go to two picograms or, or let's say, one centigram, it doesn't, you know, it can be the same substance and one lab calls it, one lab doesn't. You know, we, we get a lot of, or we had a lot of pushback when when we had, uh, you know, showed opposition to what most people were saying, the 48-hour NSAID rule, right? We didn't oppose a 48-hour administration, what we opposed was the stacking violation because the stacking, the second anti-inflammatory is limit of detection. So a it's not consistent you know for the first time that I can think of ever the the HBPA actually was advocating for international screening limits at an ARCI meeting. Why? Because at least that's a limit right because right now, you're, you're, you're at the whelm of whose laboratory is better. And, and it really shouldn't be that way. I often say science has outrun reality at the wire because many labs, as opposed to 10 years ago, can test so low, but we don't have any proof that, you know, three Picograms of methamphetamine in a horse can do anything to its performance. But we can prove that a tongue tie licking the back of a hand on an assistant starter, that horse is going to test positive for methamphetamine. So, you know, that nobody gives an appreciation to environmental transfer. And, and when we try to advocate for screening limits and do something that the international world is already doing, they tell us no, but yet they want to be like international world and, and quote-unquote ban Lasix on race day. So the, the hypocrisy gets a little old in my chair um, because, and you said it before, no, nobody's really proven what's going to be in the best interest of the industry by doing what many are proposing, um, and it's very frustrating.
0: Yeah, I honestly I, I get it, and I mean it frustrates me. And I'm sitting here not having to you know, <laughs> sit in front of these people and hear hear the rhetoric and the nonsense that that they 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 talk a lot. And yeah. you know, I look at it, and this is kind of a something that got totally um, overlooked as a story because, of course, the Breeders' Cup is such a gigantic event with so many uh, different storylines and so many horses and. and mm-hmm. Uh, the positive test for steroids from daniel Peter's horse Mm -hmm. uh, done with hair analysis and he claims and and i mean i don't know i don't know him that well but he's not exactly a trainer that's you know wins an extraordinary uh he's not a guy that that makes you pause and, and wonder wow this guy's Why? winning all yeah. these races he, all he's, he, 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 he's about a 10 percent trainer he trains mostly for himself Yeah. um so it costs him a lot of money to not be able to to compete in those races and and he claims that he bought the horse last october mm-hmm. and he's never given the horse winstrel ever mm-hmm. and with the the breeder's cups rule and this is a question i have you know you're not a you don't run laboratories and you're not a scientist and neither am i but how accurate can the testing be and yes you can do the follicle testing to say that this horse has received this this steroid at some point in its life right but how do we know that that horse wasn't given a steroid in january of its yearling year to try to boost its its uh you know it's physical stature at that point or maybe it was uh, not eating well and they wanted to give it a little bit of uh, you know trying to get the the fold or the you know the, the young horse to, to, to eat better to yeah, so it yeah. go
1: I've just all, all the reasons to use wind straw from a therapeutic standpoint right you know, so whether it's a filly that won't get her you know can't get her head in the feed tub or, or you've got a wasting it issue with a, a yearling or weanling um you know that there, there are good attributes to that medication
0: but. right my, and my, my question is this is that okay if this was a five if this was Whitmore okay he's been with Ron for five <laughs> years okay he, it's not like he could have say well they, they gave it to him as a baby but we're talking about horses that were were out of these people's hands less than a year ago and you don't know what was done with the horse and I mean, they have steroid testing at the sales, but I don't know anybody that asks, and Nobody, I, don't that. What, um, I don't know what. I don't know what the their method of testing is. Anyways, it certainly isn't follicle testing.
1: And, no, it's not. I mean, the, the the most utilized hair sampling is done by the AQHA because of their their mission to eradicate the use of clenbuterol, and 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 I think it's important for all your audience to know you can't test every medication in a hair follicle, right? It, it's mainly well, I don't want to say because again I'm not a vet, I'm not a scientist, but not every medication can be tested in a hair follicle and and one of the things that I've advocated for if if everybody's really concerned about bisphosphonates um, but that was told to me you, they can't test for that in hair but a steroid, a um, those types of things can and and again, I, I go back to that limit of detection level, um, and it could be a laboratory, it could be blood or urine, it could be hair, you know, at, at what point are you going to say this actually has an effect on the horse? Because, yeah, I mean, think about it, if, if, if he'd claimed that horse the year before and all of a sudden he's in the, bre- in the breeder's cup, right, and, mm-hmm. and you had no control over that horse or even, you know, how it was raised necessarily... And boom, you have this. And to me, that's that's not a fair adjudication of of a problem, because if you're finding it in hair samples and it's not in blood and urine, I, I don't think there's a scientist that can look you dead in the eye and say that it doesn't or that it does have an effect on the horse right now. I mean, that's why I'm so adamant about the out of competition rules. You know, I'm not against out-of-competition testing. Actually, I'm very much for it. The HBPA is for out-of-competition testing for prohibited substances. But if you if you give a Philly ace after she comes back from a race and they pull it and you have an eighth overage, you know, you're, you're you're in violation. Or if you have a layup right now, the way some of the rules read, and you're training at a training center and you haven't entered into a race and they decide... And you have a quote-unquote bute overage, you know there's a violation. So yeah. we've we've maintained that we are very much for out-of-competition testing, with the next sentence being but for for prohibited substances. Right. You can't, exactly. You can't do that. So, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that there are so many that um, well, let me give you an example. I started working with a gentleman named Ted Schultz. Ted Schultz actually did his Ph.D. at Gluck, um, but he's now in the human world, and he's um, what's called the director of medical uh, examiner or medical officer um, for the Department of Defense, the Department of Transportation. Basically his job is to look at violations and set screening limits in the human world. So one of my favorite stories from him is that If you'll remember a few years back when there was a methamphetamine at Keeneland, the horse belonged to Bourbon Lane Stables and was trained by Kellen Gorder. Mm -hmm. Um, The level that that horse had in its system or tested positive for was, was below the level that a human commercial pilot could have in his system, his or her system, and still fly a plane. And that's when I really started getting my eyes open to what a screening limit means, and that's a logical, and you hear it all the time, common sense level. Yes, we don't have the money to fund a study that can tell you emphatically that at this level methamphetamine does or doesn't affect a racehorse, but we do have some common sense levels. And I I think that's what... You know the the human world has been able to do, and guys like Ted Schultz have been able to to explain, and ultimately, he's now used as uh, an expert witness in equine cases for that very reason. So um, it just that that limit of detection is is a dangerous dangerous phrase.
0: And you know that's the thing that I was my my point was that. We're creating positive tests for things that aren't, shouldn't be a positive, right? And really don't have any effect on the race, and it's just causing us bad press. Yeah. And I I trained horses for twenty years, and honestly, I just wanted to know what the rules were. We're, we're, (laughs) Where, what, what can we do? What can we not do? Like, what can we use? What's illegal? What's not illegal? You'd think that that was would be a black and white thing, but it simply isn't. And
1: no, no.
0: Um,
1: and and it's that putting it out there in the press, you know, that that really is damaging because you know there's a lack of understanding. I mean, if if there's plenty of industries, you could put phrases out to me that I would think are negative because I don't know the industry. And and if and we're in a we're in a this this situation now that everything is negative and anything that gets put out there that even sounds negative is going to be exacerbated a hundred times because you know negative cells um, that that's part of it but when you hear uh, what was the headline from. From Oakland, you know uh, that that one animal rights extremist group that kind of split off from the HSUS. They were, you know, Bob Baffert uh, is, is caught cheating with numbing horses or using nerve numbing drugs or something like that. You know, this animal action wellness group. You know, it just that that ends up being so damaging that. Uh, you know, sometimes I don't know how we can get
0: out of it. And, and that's the thing, is, is when you give ammunition to the enemy for for no, with no positive, and I go back to this, and I say this about this business so many times, is that what is the goal of doing something? Why are we doing this, and is it going to be, Uh, a net positive? Is it going to move us forward? Is it going to help us in a a PR standpoint? Is it going to help us in a bottom line standpoint? And when it comes to these kind of issues, there's no one wants to answer it. And that gives, you know, kind of gives you your answer right away. But um, it's like, you know, we first talked about, you know, we're never going to be able to stop horses from breaking down. We can mitigate it as much as we want, but living things die, and we can't stop that process. If we could, we could do a whole lot better making money at something other than horse racing if we could keep <laughs> right. living things from dying. But, you know, the, the industry has actually done a decent enough job, and the numbers are kind of trending down, um, you know, per capita or per, per start. Um. Yeah, I
1: mean, and, and
0: there's a long ways to go, and I'm not saying that, like, everything's, No, I No,
1: I agree. But
0: by the same token, you um, it's not something you you know we we can't have zero tolerance, uh, right. because it's just uh, it's like it's, it's like saying well you know you're never allowed to get in a in a, in a fender bender in a, in a car I mean you could be the safest driver in the world and somebody could clip you and it's it's just um, we need to have reasonable. Um, goals and and i think that's part of the problem that we just i don't see what the goals are of some of this legislation other than like you said just to do it and it's difficult from a horseman standpoint eric is that and i and i really i understand like from the national standpoint you guys just don't have much leverage in 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 things and even honestly as as casino's have gotten the detention of the racetracks and an alternate source of revenue has, uh, tracks have, have found these things and, and lowered our importance. I mean, mm-hmm. we've, we've got it. Um, you know, we've lost a lot of leverage in it. We're not the only game in town for the tracks. And, uh, right. Right. and I think people have to understand that too. I, I see, I, I've seen where people complain about the, um, the simulcast uh percentages and things like that and it's like oh, well the horsemen should negotiate better and it's like come on <laughs> you know like yeah. what are we gonna do oh we're gonna go on strike how's that gonna work out you know yeah. that's not gonna work out you, you you literally and the tracks know that we we can't this isn't 1980 where um the only legalized gambling is is us and a couple states have uh um lotteries and you know vegas and atlantic city have casino wagering and, and nobody else has anything and and we can control the narrative and and it, we're kind of um you know we're we're powerless and and believe me as being on a horseman's board of a horseman's group
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know we're, we're volunteers right and we're going up against uh, in the case of churchill the people in the room, and when you're, you're negotiating Horseman's contract with them, they're, they're all people that graduated from Yale, and, and right. you know we have guys that um, you know didn't maybe graduate from anywhere, and right. or, or they're guys that uh, um, you know have have a have a business of some sort, but um, it, it's just it's a difficult task for for us, uh, the horsemen, get blamed for a lot of stuff. And, it, and this is something that I've been outspoken about. I said, uh, and it's probably hurt me, probably hurt me career wise and saying, you know, the tracks are to blame for almost all the ills of the game because they let things go. They let the backsides get out of control in many different ways that their product, which is, you know, basically a racetrack. You're selling bets. You're selling bets on, on, on races. And, They've harmed themselves in letting um, the few control uh, the, the vast majority of the talent. They've kind of killed the middle market themselves, the, the, the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday guys. They've made it harder yep. and harder on them. Yep. Um, they've allowed people into our pools that are betting huge sums now that aren't actually people. Right. And uh, I think that's – I was reading someone was talking about um, how great the handle is this year and uh, – You know, kind of saying, oh, well, I think the TV coverage is helping. And I'm thinking to myself, unless you know what percentage of handle is bet through batch players and uh, not through actual humans, you can't really come up with any conclusions. I mean, I I don't know how you can come up with any conclusions. Because if the batch player's play is up 25%, then that means the TV has done nothing or actually lost ground. and And, you know, tracks are not really... Um, they're not really that 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 open to wanting to tell people that, and and they sell the signal at a very very you know low price to them. And I'm not saying that if I was a track executive, if I own a track, I might not do the same thing. But it does make it, it harder to you know the numbers get skewed somewhat, and like you're trying to negotiate a contract, and like you said earlier as well, even if handle is static. The fact that very, very, very little of it's coming on track mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's all coming through ADWs means the the money flowing back to the horsemen is smaller and smaller. So yeah. we've got to not, you know, be, being down 10% or up 10%, that's not going to be okay. And it's just worrisome to me as a person who um, I never really was that interested in running or being on a horseman's board. I mean, I, I had... A stable that mostly moved around, right? For a long time, and then um, I, I went to one horseman's meeting at Parks one day, and I never made that. You know, said I'll never make that mistake again. <laughs> but um, you know, it, it was eye opening for me. In that, uh, I'm happy that I did. Um, a couple friends of mine down here who are on the board kind of convinced me to do it, and, and I did my three years. And I found out a lot about um, about how tracks operate, um, yep. a little bit more about how the sausage is made. And one of the things, I, one of the takeaways, and, and I've talked to people in horse groups all over the place and management at a lot of different places, and thoroughbreds and, and, and harness. And we used, to, I used to think that, and maybe I, I was just naive, that there was a grand plan (laughs) and that uh, the reasons that things were done for reasons. And, and, uh, you know, this is, Hey, this is step A, step B, step C, step D. And, you know, it may look like it's not a great idea now, but you know, once this happens and that happens, and then I've kind of found out that none of that is true and that everything is just kind of reactionary. And the only group in this business that seems like they have any sort of long-term um planning is Churchill, and all of the planning is bad for racing it's it's how do they get out of how do they yeah. minimize us and, and it's and and I'm telling you its it's everywhere and I mean people like praise Oaklawn and great they've done you know they have been able to really increase their program and um you know the the races are very very competitive there and the horsemen are happy and but it's all because of you know they run three and a half months and they have 8 months of of slots and not much yeah. competition and so yeah. there it's not like the racing end of it made this great um improvement and right. it's just frustrating for me and and will be honest I'm like the least organized person in the world you know <laughs> like like I'm in the process of moving and it's it's like a, a it's like a 2 week event you know and it, it just seems to me that we we just don't have um we don't have very much strategic planning that goes on in this business from from any side and i think that hurts us because we we're going to go up uh, the the enemy there's a couple guys on twitter and these guys are really sharp and there's people on twitter that are completely insane but there are some guys that that, that see things in a little different uh you know through a different prism than i do and 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 uh, you would because we're in the industry and, and you know this is our view and uh, it's interesting to see because almost to a man they say listen you guys are screwing up yeah you, you the tracks look at the other track down the road is, is the competition that's not the competition you've got to work with those to, to defend up the competition the competition the barbarian at the gate is sports betting yeah people grow up understanding sports watching sports sports is a huge thing in this country uh, and and the the amount of um betting handle on uh, you, you look at new jersey's numbers and it's like whoa i mean they're, yeah. they're doing as much in a month as we're doing in a year yeah. and we're talking all forms of betting in new jersey all trotters a simulcast everything and, and they're doing as much in a month as we do in a year and that's just yeah. it's just in its infancy so it's like, man, where do we where do we go? And and I, I know that you and some of the other Horsemen's reps, you know, kind of get skewered sometimes on social media because people don't understand where you're coming from, and they don't understand that, um, you know, what we're fighting for. Because so many issues are just not that well explained, and uh, and I think that's been a huge problem in this business for many years. Is that I've I can't tell you how many people in the business I've said you understand. Like, a horse gets a positive test. That doesn't mean that the level was performance enhancing. Right. It's an arbitrary number, often set by the labs who have done zero research into finding out what what's actually performance enhancing. And that you know, they, sometimes they use number of positive tests as, as a marketing tool. And I mean, look at the deal we had in New Jersey this summer with Truesdale, where they just simply weren't testing. You know, they were sending them the, the, the samples and they just weren't testing and they were backed up two months and nobody's getting paid purse money. It was just a, yeah, Oh man. No, and I know I, I just kind of went on a rant there, but
1: it, it just, well, it, it's just no, frustrating, I, I, you know? No, I appreciate that because I, I've said for a long time and I mean, you nailed it. And and maybe it's, maybe it's, you know, guys like me, maybe it's our fault. There is a lack of education, but you know, at the end of the day, it, it's, it's, um, Difficult, you know. You start trying to. I mean, I talk to people in the industry. Going back to your, you know, your ADW discussion. You start trying to explain why host fees are different. Who gets source market fees? You know why is somebody's signal, you know, so much less of a percentage than a Kentucky, um, and and then you hear all of the money, what was it, $41 million was bet on Arkansas Derby Day, the, the the first Saturday in May this year, and everybody's like, oh, my God, look how much money the horsemen make. You know, people, A, they, most people don't even understand. I try to start off with an 80-20 explanation. You know, don't, don't try to explain blended takeout, but if you just start with 80% of the dollar goes back to the better, And 20% is what we all, everybody else in the industry has to live on. I mean, that gets some wide eyes right there, right? But then you start trying to make people understand or at least explain percentages aren't the same. You know, you said it. You know, the on-track handle, you know, maybe a track gets, you know, 9% back to the purse account, but an ADW wager, you're lucky to get 3%, even if it's the same $2 across. You know, it's you know, trying to explain those nuances and then then going to, okay, well, this track gives away $300,000 a day, whereas this track only gives $100,000 a day. You bet that much money at their racetrack, yes, the horsemen are going to actually make some money, or the purse account is going to make money. So it's a very difficult thing to explain to most people, and, and you know, even with the medication issues, trying to explain what is, um, you know, a level that is considered performance enhancing um, or just ex- simply trying to explain what the controlled therapeutic substance list is. You know, these, these are legal medications, and it, it gets frustrating at times, but, you know, for I guess a number of years now I've tried, it's just difficult, especially when most of our media is controlled by another narrative that, that maybe wants different things, right? So there's there's very few um, you know good platforms such as yourself and Steve Bick and and Mike Penna and you know some of those that are quote unquote independent, and, and that's why I love the TDN. I mean, they they put it out both sides, you know, um, and it's it's uh, uh, it gets frustrating but a bit overwhelming to try to explain our way out of things and you know maybe that is our fault maybe you know I think the industry had the right thought way back when when the NTRA was created to be the PR arm you know I mean I thought that was an exciting time for the industry because that was going to be our first opportunity to really push the sport in a direction that got into the, you know the common household and and what happened it got essentially ramrodded by those who that didn't fit their agenda um and then now you know it is what it is um but uh it it gets difficult to be a horseman's representative group you know especially on the affiliate level and the national level you know people don't even understand that it's an elected body you know i've I, I try not to fight on Twitter anymore, but I've, I've often made the comment of, if you don't like it, then go to the polls or run yourself, and then you'll find out, as you mentioned, that there's a lot of sausage that nobody knows how it gets made. It just it just appears. Um, but then when they realize how it gets made, they don't want any part of it.
0: Eric, tell people, how, how many people work in your office, National HVPA?
1: Of um uh, I have one full-time employee, that's me, and I have two part-time employees. And, and, <laughs> and they're <this> is, excellent. <laughs> and
0: this is this is what I try to explain to people.
1: Yeah.
0: Churchill Downs has 10 times yeah. as many interns as you exactly. have uh, part-time people. Yeah. Um Strana Group, the, the Naira, um these the Jockey Club itself which unfortunately seems like they they Often pit themselves as the enemy to the the horsemen mm-hmm. for reasons that I, I don't understand. Don't because understand. you know one of the things that people forget about horsemen's groups is that the vast majority of members of horsemen's groups are owners, not trainers. Yeah. There's only
1: seventy percent uh, of my demographic, and people drop their mouth because you know you know very well. They always say, "Oh, that's the trainers' group," right? right. And it, we've I did a demographic study in 2015 with the University of Arizona, and 70% of our membership is only licensed as an owner. You know, and then you have 20% that's an owner-trainer and only 10% that are only a trainer. You know, and, and so, no, m- most people don't understand that.
0: Right, and, and, and it's it's like often I wind up trying to explain to people, you, you don't understand that we're going up against big corporations, big organizations of really wealthy people. Mm-hmm. And often it's just volunteers. Yep. I mean, I know in the Florida board, we have a couple guys who were businessmen that are retired. We have, um, person that's, uh, involved in breeding. Um, we have a person that that's in, in sales. We have, uh, you know, of course the president, Steve is, is a lawyer mm-hmm. and we have, uh, five or six trainers. And, these people have their own businesses to conduct, um, yep. and they—they're not full time. Uh, you know, they're on the board, but you know, we try to meet once a month and, and get things done. And, and of course, you know, there's there's Zoom meetings and there's committees and things like that. But but the, I guess the point is that we're we're going up against well funded. Um, he, you know, large organizations, and it's just very difficult for for horsemen to um, to compete. I guess, exactly. as, as a, for a lack of a better word, and yeah. that you know, you you've got a um, you know, you, you don't have a legal department. You can just you know. Send over and say, "Hey, take care of this. Uh, you know, <laughs> exactly. examine the the legality of this." And you know, uh, you, you don't, you know, you don't have human resources uh, where you can just uh, yeah get me a guy that's can uh, you know run some errands. And and it's it's the, that's the thing uh, that I think that often gets um, forgotten when you're sitting on a panel and it's uh, it's Eric Hamelback from the HEPA and the other, the other people from. Uh, all the other groups and you have, like you said, it's, it's, you're kind of a, a lone soldier <laughs> and, and, right. uh, you know, they have an army of, of people and, and, and lawyers, you know, and uh, exactly. it, it's, yeah. it puts us at a disadvantage. And, and I think that, um, as the game in the world has gotten more complicated, we've, we've lost and, and it's not that any, it's just the way things are structured that, um, you know, we we don't. Uh, the Florida HVPA is a very well-funded organization because we have mm-hmm. 51 weeks of racing. The handle here is 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 you know great. The um, most of the 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 purse money is derived is from handle. It's it's kind of an old-fashioned thing, and we you know we'll be losing money from uh, from Calder relatively soon too. It yeah. seems like, but uh, even so, it's not as though um, there, there's. Uh, one executive at Churchill Downs makes five times what our entire budget is. One guy. Exactly. Who might not even be involved in the in negotiating of all these <laughs> exactly. things. So it's uh it's it's a tough it's a tough it's an uphill battle for us and uh Erica I do appreciate you coming on and um
1: and oh, uh thanks for having me. It's I, long overdue. We, I, we gotta do it again soon. I so.
0: um uh, I really I think that um often It's easy to get lost in, in, um, it's hard to explain things in a article in a industry trade that goes, you know, it's eight paragraphs long and, you know, takes three different views because some of these issues are just so complicated that, um, you know they really need to to uh, to be explained a little bit better and I, and I appreciate you coming on and and your willingness to uh to do that and uh Absolutely. again I'll definitely have you uh, have you back on and uh I'm just uh, happy to uh to to give uh you know to give you a a chance to voice more than just uh um you know couple lines in in the exactly in the paper. a
1: quote that somebody will misquote <laughs> <laughs> exactly
0: eric thank you again appreciate you no, being on thank you man you thank got you it.
1: very much right
0: that was eric Hambleback from the H E P A national H E P A and like i said he he's a one-man gang and that's uh it's it's tough when everybody's everybody's throwing rocks at you and you don't have any you don't have any backup but uh he does a good job and he um you know often we get uh We get accused of things that we're not standing up for horsemen, but, um, it's, it's a complicated business and, um, you know, working together would, would be, would be better. Um, we can't just give in on everything either, but, uh, I do appreciate him. I appreciate you guys listening. And, um, next week we'll have a a special show. The, uh, I'm putting it together. I'm, I'm producing like I'm supposed to, but, um, uh, this show obviously be replayed. If you didn't catch our show last night, the Big Monday Show, Barry named it the Big Monday Post Breeders Cup Hangover Show, uh, where we go over all the races and everything that we saw. Um, that I didn't uh, be, I wasn't able to to go over everything uh, in the beginning of the show today. Just a couple things, but uh, check that out uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's up and. I uh, appreciate uh, Eric coming on. I appreciate Casey. We got him here after dark.
1: This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman, Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email podcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles podcast.